welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're going to feature part two of John Pisano. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. What up, listeners? Here we are, episode 18 of the High Action Podcast, part two of John Pisano. Right, part two. So my hope is that you're binge listening to these episodes, because how could you stop after Pisano just gave us all this great insight? He's taken us up to the career. He's in L.A. It's the 60s. There's all this session work. So this next episode is going to be pretty exciting, because we're going to talk a lot about the stuff he had done in the basically that midpoint of his career forward. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I, that stuck with me so much about the session work and how much there was. I mean, when we talked to the great Lee Rittenauer too, he said he was on 2000 sessions over the course of the la- over like two years or something or three years. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it just, it blows my mind, right? You guys, I mean, Will, and, I mean, Will, you and I are still out here in LA too. And the scene, I mean, here we are, we're still here. Yeah. And I mean, think about all the time and energy that goes into if you're going to sessions or or like if you're showing up and you haven't heard the demos or you haven't been sent the charts and, and you're just going in as a blank slate expected to create something good from from scratch. So, I mean, that's a testament to John's ability to to come in and and create on the spot. I mean, you know, it, improvise in a sense, you know. Right. That's huge. And, you know, to think like, he really downplays it, but he had to have a lot of different versatility and technique on classical guitar, steel string guitar, on his box. Um, there was the one session he mentioned there in part one where he talked about 50 guitar players being on one session, the one for, with Lorendo Almeida for the movie score. Wow. I mean, just it's pretty amazing to think that, that the community was like that. And John was well-respected then in the community as he is now now right and perry our first experience you know going back to 2001 2002 and going up Mm -hmm. to spazio i mean dude those are some of my most cherished memories of college and first coming to la was going to spazio and checking out guitar night yeah i mean what a what a hang that was for us i mean I, i feel so fortunate that we had those experiences and that Pisano cultivated that and really continues to this day to cultivate that scene. For the listeners, you know, Spazio was a club up in the valley. And, you know, when I went there as an 18-year-old, I was seeing guitar players like um, Barry Zwei and Frank Potenza and Pat Kelly. And all these guys, they were dressed up well. You know, like they weren't, LA is sort of more of a casual place, but for whatever reason, when you went there to hang with Pisano's guitar night, people put a little more energy into what they were wearing because they wanted to kind of show that respect to the music and to the guitar. And it was a real hang. Uh, I I remember seeing Kuntz play there, Steve Diorio play there, and just seeing all these heroes of mine throwing down in a really kind of friendly, encouraging guitar environment. And that is unique. It does not exist out here in New York. Mm-hmm. There are some people that have tried to create these guitar hangs out here, but it's just not the same. So, 
you know, Pisano was really has been really successful in creating that environment, and he gave us chances, John. Yes, I mean one of my one of my favorite, and will, uh, of course, the same to you. But one of my favorite uh, memories was when they asked us to come sit in, and John Stoll, great John Stoll, was the featured artist that night. And you and I story, you and I got up there to sit in, and I think we asked to play Days of Wine and Roses because you know that was one of the tunes that we had down right. like we we had that going at our weekly coffee shop gig we knew that one we thought we knew it inside and out <laughs> and then i'll never forget stole turning over to us and being like so i want to take the second half of the tune up a third up a minor third play it from f to a flat and you and i kind of looked at each other like uh you ready for that you know <laughs> and the bassist luther hughes i think he could tell that we were kind of a little out of our league there yeah. and he just leaned in to John Stoll who was sort of you know leading the tune he just said hey Stoll man keep it simple stupid and he said no what did he say he said yeah. kiss keep it simple stupid exactly Luther Hughes that's a whole other discussion well yeah, yeah. L- like Luther. Luther and Paul Krybeck all these guys were just and Kendall K yeah. all they're all a part of that scene and um you know yeah, it was it was hilarious, man. The vibe people didn't take themselves too seriously, but you're right. I mean, it was a different vibe there, and it was like cheers. Everybody knows your name, man. You'd go in there, and yeah. people would remember you. And the older cats, I even remember Chuck Niles coming in there and hanging with us, man. The legendary wow. DJ from from uh, K Jazz here in Los Angeles, and Chuck would hang out and watch the musicians and the young musicians, and I mean, just. It's it, yeah. Pisano has been at the epicenter of all of this, and mm-hmm. to you know, it, it's a great model for us because as we go forward in this Instagram age, and where we're all you know building our communities virtually, I mean, which we have to right now, and then we come out of this, and we're all going to want to play together again. I mean, it's it's something we can't forget. You know, I mean, those guys they <laughs> they would promote the show early on by actually sending mailers in the mail. I used to get those laminated guitar night things to my USC address with the calendar on them of, wow. of who was playing, Wow, you know, and they stuck to that schedule so hard, you know, um, and the cats would come out from the East coast. Some other guys I saw there who have since passed away, Al Viola, Ted Green, mm-hmm. Dave Carpenter mm-hmm. was on bass on a lot of those early gigs. The great Dave Carpenter, so many yeah. great guitarists, and uh, yeah, I mean, we can't thank Pisano enough for for being involved in that. But you know, he's he is a center of the community, but he's a monster guitar player too. And I remember hearing him back then. His rhythm sound is so great, Ooh. Ooh, and, and and the way that he incorporates that into his solo lines, he's a very rhythmic player. And um, to think of all the drummers he's played with over the years, and I mean everybody, man. So yeah, he started with what Chico Hamilton. Yeah, was one of those earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we'd all be so lucky if at the age of eighty-seven we're still trucking along playing like he is. So yeah, exactly. Eighty-nine. 
89, excuse me. 89, born in 1931. So this is a special episode for us. Again, these two episodes that we're featuring today for the uh, holiday edition of High Action Podcast. So uh, again, we just want to thank everybody for supporting the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, which is really where we're trying to direct everybody. So follow us there and interact with us. Let us know the questions that you want us to be asking our guests as we get into the new year. And uh, be sure to follow us on Patreon. On too. We're putting up a lot of exclusive content there. We'd love to connect with you on there, and we do really appreciate the uh, the support because it helps us put together all of these episodes on a weekly basis for everybody. So what do you guys say? Should we get into part two here? Smash the subscribe button. <laughs> Smash the subscribe button. That's what all the young kids are saying, I know. <laughs> oh, boy, you guys... Well, without further ado, here we go. Part two of John Pisano, episode 18 of the High Action Podcast. Happy holidays, you guys. That's interesting. So do you feel like being a session guitar player in the 60s that if you just had basic reading skills, you could get hired in L.A. to play on all those sessions? Uh, Yeah. The thing is, in those days, you know, I I never proclaimed or never say that I was a great reader. But in those days, most guitar players didn't read anyway. So the writers, uh, whoever's, you know, would always be hesitant about what they would write for a guitar. They didn't model lines. It was usually just chord playing. I never ran into any problems because of that. They, they, uh, then at the maybe five years later, they started discovering that people could read, you know. And uh, I told Lee, Lee Rittenauer the, the story that reminded him. I played with uh, the original uh the five guitar things that have, you know, every, all the schools have them, you know, uh, 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 Tony, Tony Rizzi's five guitars. I was on, yeah. uh, for the first three months, I, you know, actually the first rehearsals at the house here, you know, and then uh, there's a picture, a shot of us at the union, you know, and, uh, Jimmy Weibel played on that, as you know, he was on the, the original band. But after the first, uh, I don't know, I had a tour coming up with Peggy Lee, I think it was. And I couldn't, uh, you know, I was going to be gone for months. So I called Tony and he, he said, Oh man, Jesus, it's really rough. I, you know, got to get somebody. I said, why don't you call Lee Rittenauer? He didn't know. Nobody knew about Lee. Lee was 20 years old. And, and he said, well, does he read? And I said, I can assure you he, he can read. And after the rehearsal, he he called he, Tony called me and he thanked me. He said, "My God!" He said he he just like whizzed through all the parts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. So I know they, uh, stuff that was written for the guitars. If they were like studio things, if they, if they were going to do something with a nylon string, you know, they wouldn't call me or the you know. Well, they would for certain things for Brazil. But anyway, if they called anybody, they would. Uh, they would call Lorendo if it had to be like, a, a, you know, some really important stuff. Right. There was only a handful of guys that uh, could do that. You right. Know? Lorendo Almeida, of course. And, and, and actually, they would send him the music ahead of time to, to really 
work it out, you know. Interesting. They'll find out how it's going to work best. Fascinating. And, and yeah. then, then when some of the guys would write things that uh, were, were actually not not playable because they, they didn't know how to write the instrument. In fact, you know, I worked. Uh, I used to do a lot of work with Johnny Mandel, you know, rhythm, and uh, so I wound up. Uh, it was an artist that I never. Actually, he wasn't on the date, but we had a string section, and we had uh, we had a full string. It was a capital, and we had a full string section, full band, and everything. And uh, it turned out that there was a, I I was only do rhythm. I only wanted to do rhythm guitar, uh, and we did some sessions early in the day, and then we went to to lunch. And you know, you get back, and then there's another pile of music, and all of a sudden, there's in that pile of music there was electric guitar, and this thing was written out and what i'm talking about is musicians that uh orchestra you know people like composers and uh, somebody like johnny mandel and he he had this thing written out and it the chord was uh, something it had a low f at the first fret and a high c at the eighth fret you yeah. know and, yeah. <laughs> And, and I'm looking at this goddamn thing, and I, I didn't know what I'm going to And all of a sudden, uh, they start the session, and so he he starts conducting. Everybody's looking around because no, there was nobody playing, and I, I'm supposed to be playing it by myself. You know? and, and the guy says, well, what's uh, uh, you, you got that? Oh, yeah, okay. I said, but he said, well, what's the problem? I said, well, that, that first chord that you wrote, you can't play it. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's impossible. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. and somebody as great as Johnny Mandel. But on the other hand, there was there were people that really... Uh, I, I did a, a lot of things at, uh, I think it was MGM at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wound up doing this uh, a regular series. I didn't. I don't even know what the hell it was, but it was it was George's George's George Van Epp's brother, John, yes. was a piano player, mm-hmm. and he would write the music each week. And he was as sweet as, as George was, you know. And, and he he'd write the stuff out. And a couple of times he would he would uh, call me over before the session started, and he'd say, John, he said. Now, I wrote this stuff, and it looks a little... Keep in mind, he didn't play guitar, but he he had the mind of, of George, and he had psyched out the fingers that, and what string it would be on. And, and he said, and now, is this is this going to be a problem? I said, and I looked at it, and I said, no, it falls right in place. You know, you can play it. He said, oh, great. You know, so, so there are people like that, too. But, and he... Even to this day, and the the thing that saved somebody with the experience, like Tommy, nothing would Tommy would would, he would if they had something written like that. He would play and cover it with different chords and 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 leave the notes out. But play the important things, you know. And he'd get through it, you know. Right. But for me, I just never started. And here, you know how you know the feeling you have is. All of a sudden, everybody's looking at you. You got like forty strings, and they're all waiting for you to play this piece of shit music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the embarrassing moments, and uh, right. Right. we finally got through it. 
And to this day, I haven't, I've never heard the recording. I don't know if they use it or not. Right. Also, like at that time, guitar in the 60s, guitar was like the thing to have on a film score, a TV score, the Fender sound. Like you said, many guys, there'd be five guitarists on a session and there'd be a guy playing a Strat, a guy playing a Tele, a guy, you would be playing acoustic guitar because that was kind of your bag, a Fender bass, a Fender baritone guitar. Again, Perry and Will have some questions, but maybe a good point to just hit right now and to play for all the listeners here on High Action is um, a fantastic example of what you were recording in the 60s in the studio and that great rhythm guitar sound that you're really known for in addition to being a fantastic jazz guitarist leader. Um, this is one of my favorite um, Tijuana Brass clips. Um, this is What Now My Love. And I just love how this track starts with just you just holding it down, man. Can we take a quick listen to that and maybe talk a little bit about working with Herb Alpert? Before I forget, I have a question for you guys because you're, you're a younger group. And and I'm confronted with uh, telling my students about comping. If you heard that thing that, you know, the, the, the thing you just played and, and the comping, they're, they're big band figures, you know? And that's all I heard when I was growing up, big band, you know, bah, bah, da, you know, and, that, and not that I like, I didn't like, big bands for that because it, it always sounded like well anyway that's another story but i couldn't help but avoid those things and but that's that's the way you i tell my students listen to some like basie records and and hear those figures and have you ever all of you you know like uh, have you have been have you checked out that stuff or listening to you to hear what the comping is, and that's what it's like. That's what what it's all about is uh, playing a figure to kick somebody's ass and 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 get them. You know, like some of the stuff that I did with Joe and Wolf when he was doing uh, uh, the the uh, Joe's uh, uh, the album, some of the early stuff, mm -hmm. and I was playing guitar, and he said he said I he said I want to. I'd like to put your name in here and give you some credit for what you were doing. He said, he said, you know, he said, but in this bar, he said, this part that you played, he said, because if you hadn't played that, Joe wouldn't have played the next phrase, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what comping is all about. You know, you got to kick and know when not, and, and know when not to play, you know, but that's, I do the best I can, but it's like, it's natural for me uh, because hearing growing up with that kind of shit around with big bands and, and, you know, but for students today, they don't have a chance to hear that. You know, I, I just wanted to bring up now the t the brass thing that you were going to play me. What now am I looking I was just going to say, John, when we were listening to that track, that Chico Hamilton track, and you were playing uh, with Dolphy and you were comping behind them, I was thinking you sounded like a brass section in a big band, you know, <laughs> Yeah. the saxophones up front and you sounded like the trombones and the trumpets with what yeah. you were playing and for a long time i think it was diorio that told me about think about my comping like a sax section or a brass section or something uh -huh. think about like a big band and yeah you did that as well as anybody so it, you really have exemplified that for us over a lot of years so thank you yeah john and it, teaching comping i think all of us can agree is one of the hardest things to really teach 
um, young guitarists about because a lot of it has to do with the gigs you're doing, the style of music you're playing. Um, yeah. but, but guitar is such a beautiful rhythmic instrument that in its genesis was really a major part of the rhythm of a band. And students that don't have a chance to really play four to the floor a lot or support a singer or support another guitar player sometimes don't understand how to do that. So that is really great for our listeners to hear you talk about checking out big bands and checking out Basie um, yeah. and going back and really going over that sound, John. If you think back, listen, listen to uh, some of the Django stuff. And, and Django, he, he, did, he, he, he would set up figures like that, too. You know, if, if you listen to, to his, his uh, addition to the rhythm section, it was three guys playing rhythm, but he would, he would comp things like that behind him, like a band. You know? Let's check out John's awesome rhythm guitar playing on this. I mean, that's Herb Alpert for you. I mean, for sure. Um, I just have to ask before I pass it to the guys, did you have a favorite studio at this time? Did you? I mean, that was recorded over at A&M, I presume. Um, there was Gold Star, United, Capital. Did you have a favorite one, or were they all just kind of like going to the office for you? Um, well, I think the favorite one is when, when we moved into uh, the, the Chaplin Studios yeah. and, and Herb you know, we had our own studio then, and, and but uh, the early stuff, Gold Star was the place, you know, uh, it didn't have the convenience of separation or here, or where you could set up in another room and, uh, or, or space, you know. Great to see you. Uh, thank you so much for making time for our podcast. It's really been a pleasure to just listen to you talk about your career and your uh getting started getting into music everything from the army to chico hamilton to all these sessions you did i wanted to mention that uh, i live out in brooklyn now we live yeah. in, in south brooklyn in bay ridge which is just across the verrazano i just just across the verrazano bridge from staten island so yeah. i feel a connection to you here in bay ridge to your roots well yeah well staten island uh before that bridge was uh uh, it was a different place, you know. The, the bridge opened it up, and a lot of people are driving over it now. They realize it exists, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, I I wanted to just focus a little bit on um, Guitar Night that you created, uh, yeah. the weekly series you created in Los Angeles. I think starting in 1997, and just so you know, as a kid growing up in the Bay Area, coming down to USC to study guitar. 
I remember the first night I went to Spazio's to hear your guitar night. Pat Kelly was playing, and Richard Smith drove me from USC to the Valley to hear Pat. And I was just so uh, enthralled by what you guys were doing at Spazio's. You, were, you had really created a community. You had created a, a scene for guitar, and you couldn't have been more welcoming of a young kid like me. So thank you for, for that. I want to ask you uh, just a kind of a musical question about your guitar playing, because one of the things that's always stuck out to me about your incredible guitar playing is the sound you get out of a box. You always get a great woody but full tone out of a out of a box and i know it has a lot to do with your touch i know it has a lot to do with your right hand your left hand but for players that are really trying to get that woody sound out of an arch top what do you think are some of the essential elements to creating that sound sound like you can get what are some of the essential qualities that you strive for well technically i i don't know i i always start with uh, I don't know. There, there are a lot of things that I need for myself to, uh, for my playing. I play very hard, so I need not a high action, but a, a tight action. You know, you know. I can't. Yeah. I guess I, I like. I I dig in a lot when I yeah. I get excited when I'm playing. I, I, you know, from it's in my gut and it's in my being. You know, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's it's not a good thing, but but I I do that because it does slow you down when you you, know, you get really muscle with muscles, you know. The, but the the I don't know. I guess it's just experimenting. I I, I I'm still I'm still looking for the the the, the perfect sound, and I have I'm not, I'm not really totally convinced uh, you know that i uh that i have the sound you know that i that i like i i, I but i I'm, I'm thank you for the compliment on the sound i i i'm always i've always worked on uh on that and and, and without now the, the amplifiers i guess make a difference but i've always been i've never liked to carry big amplifiers around you know uh, and a lot of guys didn't mind carrying, you know, I had all those amplifiers that, you know, Fender gave me that, there's it one that's a weighs a hundred pounds and has like four 12 inch speakers. And I, I never took it out of the house. You know, I wouldn't take it to a gig. And now that I'm, I'm older, you know, my wife carries my amplifier for me. God bless her. You know, I mean, I could carry it, but she, she you know, so uh, I'm not looking for a bigger amplifier, but the amplifier has a lot to do with the sound, a, a good, good sounding amp. And, you, you know, those, some of those old fenders, uh, it's, it's amazing. They keep on going back to older stuff. I could see a reason for the older stuff. Maybe the older guitars have matured and, and the yeah. sound might be better after those years. But amplifiers, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I don't know how age could improve the electronics. With your right hand, I'd noticed you always would play a little closer to the fingerboard. Some guys maybe play a little closer to the bridge, but you always play closer to the fingerboard, and it gave you such a nice, warm sound on the box. Can you talk yeah. about yeah. Kind of playing with your right hand a little closer to the fingerboard yeah. and getting a, a looser feel with, for the rhythm and the lines? Yeah, well, because that's I always go for that 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 position there exactly where the where the, where the where the pickup is 
because that's where the best sound you know you, you play by the bridge you're gonna see, you hear that edgy you know right edgy, edgy sound that you really don't want to sometimes you might want it but you, your definition changes but as the closer you get <clears throat> to uh, the fingerboard the warmer the sound gets you know and yeah uh, absolutely I, especially I, at a, especially I've noticed at a certain volume. If it starts to get too loud, then yeah. you're, the closer you are to the fingerboard, can kind of make the sound too, too boomy. But if you keep it at a good acoustic volume, so to speak, that's yeah, well, really that, sweet up there. I, I I I agree with it, but that's that that can be modified by whatever pickup you're using and whatever the guitar is. You know, if you're using yeah, yeah. an acoustic guitar. Uh, to start with, whether it has a, a plywood top or if it's a carved top, you know, you get yeah. different sounds from all those guitars. And there's so many now, you know, now they're running out of wood, you know, I'm talking to uh, Eastman, they can't, uh, mahogany is getting very, uh, very expensive. Is that right? And, uh, I know it's that. almost. Not of it. all the companies are, fe- are they're feeling the, the the draft now. It's like uh, so. First, it was my my choice was always a mahogany uh, a mahogany solid mahogany neck or three piece mahogany neck. Preferably, it, it, I started with a solid piece like the old one seventy fives, and 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 a rosewood fingerboard, and they phased rosewood out by a couple of years now you can't get rosewood anymore they're using ebony uh the ebony has a different characteristic just doesn't have the warmth the mahogany had uh, a certain warmth to it but uh, there are some advantages that's that's why i got t angelico to put a, a rosewood uh, uh, no to put a, uh, an ebony fingerburn on where it had a rosewood I wish I told them to save that rosewood fingerboard. That would be valuable. <laughs> Those rosewood fingerboards from when that guitar was like in fifties uh, or before. No, that was God. That was probably early, uh, maybe even in yeah, you know, someplace around nineteen fifty. The original guitar and that that supposedly that rosewood was Brazilian rosewood at the time. Okay, all right. I don't know if it was all uh, as good, but it sounds it sounds good. That's what everybody was looking for, you know. Right, right. So it's it's a matter of just experimenting, and the sound is uh, always. I go for the warmth of it. There's some guitars, and sometimes you you have you have to move it a little to get more definition, depending on the instrument, you know. Well, I've I've always always really admired your sound on the instrument. Uh, it's just such a beautiful quality that you get from the guitar, and I wanted to kind of follow that up with a question. You've worked with so many different people. You've been uh, a consummate accompanist for a lot of them, whether it's been Joe Pass, Diana Krall, or your wonderful wife uh, Jeannie and the Flying Pisano stuff that you guys do. So can you talk a little bit about being a great accompanist on the guitar and sort of what are some of the qualities that you've strived for? I know you talked about big band comping, but when you're working like in a duo with a guitarist or a singer, what are some of the qualities that you look for as an accompanist? Well, the main thing that you have to strive for is, is, uh, is to listen, you know, 
and uh, that seems to be a thing that uh, a lot a lot of uh, a good percentage wise there's a lot of a lot of great guitar players that don't particularly listen for that but if you're playing to accompany somebody and uh, they accompany comping comes from the word accompany yeah the rhythm is is a different thing sometimes they confuse all those words but yes. to accompany means like if you're walking down the street with your girlfriend you're accompanying her you're holding her hand and you're 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 together you know so there's no way you can accompany anybody uh musically or what else unless you really are there you know and listening to what they're what they're you know what what they need you know you've done that better than anybody uh it's really amazing i think it's also just your quality of really just trying to give and uh be supportive of the music and be uh, in service of the music and speaking of that service you did an incredible and you continue to do an incredible service to the guitar community by creating guitar night i mean just going back to that it meant so much to me as a young kid going in there and hearing you guys play and then you get you gave us chances to come up and perform with you, which again took it to a whole new level for us. So you've really fostered this community that has inspired us. Uh, we're hoping, as a group and through this podcast, that we can help foster and build the guitar community. So that's something that we're trying to do uh, directly from your inspiration, John. So just want you to know that uh, it's meant a lot to us, and thank you for starting Guitar Night and keeping it going. Well. Of course, you know that I didn't invent Guitar Night. You know, it started at George Van Epps. Yeah. It started at Dante's, you know, and I was I was there around the time, you know, uh, between Howard Roberts and Bob Bain, and uh, yeah. you know they they started they started that. Uh, I don't know what year it was, but they they did Guitar Night on a, on a Monday, and it became quite popular, uh, and they always had a good crowd. It went on until for so many years then it just kind of phased out for some reason but if you uh, before we went to spazio's which by the way was the highlight of the guitar guitar nine days because we had you know even my guy even kenny burrell came in but i couldn't get him to play and do you know what dennis buttermer actually sat in and and he was when he when the, by the end of the night he had to let me know that he hadn't played in the club in 20 years you know i mean, wow. I mean because he hated the idea of playing in a club but he, he did sit in that night but but uh we were working uh, gene and i were working as a duo uh, and as with or trio at papa sean which was further down on on Ventura Boulevard, and we worked there for a couple of years. But in the beginning, uh, the the guy that was managing it, uh, uh, he had just started putting together some kind of uh, schedule for, it. and he said he, he approached me and he said, "John, he said, I'm trying to find something to do on a night that is usually slow. Maybe some we could put." And and as he was talking, I thought guitar night, and I said. Guitar night would be a good thing to try. So why don't we why don't we try it out? Which we did, and and uh, so the first one I got George Van Epps to start it, and and those were those were great great days, you know. But guitar night always existed in because, and and I've hear I hear stories from like 
you know, remarks from other band players, that horn players or whoever, and they 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 get pissed a little about well, how come guitar players are always hanging out? You know, what well, what is this guitar thing? You know, like, well, they're pissed because they they can't get together and 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 play like we can because we could be a rhythm section or we can be a soloist. So you get together, you know, and guitar players are always hanging out much more than other other players i mean i don't know if it's still like that but it was always like that yeah it's a certain clan you know so we're in it and thank you guys for keeping the clan going (laughs) yeah it is the guitar community so to speak and uh we're definitely trying to keep it going based on your inspiration and let me pass it off now to Will here. I know he has some questions he wanted to ask you yeah, about. Will. But John, thank you again for making time for us. It's, it's really well, to thank, see you again. And, and thank talk. you. And I, I feel coming from you guys, and especially you commenting on my sound, which I never, I always tried to get a decent sound, but I'm, I'm still not satisfied. I'm still, you know what I did the other day? After John D'Angelico did my. 175 i i had been studying from chuck wayne at that yeah, time right. you know in in staten island because chuck lived in staten island and uh, we got to be really good friends and wow. uh wow now chuck he he was the one to start what you guys called sweep picking mm-hmm. you know chuck was the first guitar player that did that stuff but he had it meticulously down where he could you know, do arpeggios and things with, he called it backpicking. It was going this way instead of this way. And, uh, and, and Chuck was a, he had a great mind and and he he was a great teacher, but he came up, he, he would, he'd start talking about the shortest, why not pick that way? Because, uh, because the rule is, is shortest distance between two points you know, is a straight line. You know, so so that that uh, whatever you want to call it, the, that that picking. I was uh, fooling around with uh, you know redoing my guitars and changing the and. So I'm going back to D'Angelico again. When I gave him the guitar, I had uh, the uh, uh, the bridge, and it was the strings were really close together. I mean, there was actually at the uh, like from E to E was uh, like an eighth of an inch hmm. difference. It was hmm. it was smaller, hmm. and when I got the guitar. I I used to play that way, uh, play on it, that, you know. But then I started experimenting with it. But anyway, I I I never got used to that 175 because of that the closest there, and I never really spent time enough to figure. Oh no, I have to. I looked at it last week, and I said, Oh my God, you know why? How did this happen? <laughs> and uh, and I so I got my. I, I have, you know, I, I have bridges and old bridges, and I found I found a, a bridge that I put on there, and the strings spread the way they're supposed to be. And my God, that guitar sounds—it's easy to play. I was always thinking that it might have been something 
that John did to the guitar because I told him what I wanted to do also, put the ebony fingerboard, and I asked him to look at the the neck and, and actually modify maybe the heel a little to duplicate the, his, the neck that he has in his guitar, you know. And, and he actually, I, did, I, I realized that he actually did that, and I thought maybe it was something he, that he, he did to the guitar that I should have asked for it but uh, anyway it turns out that and i and i put new strings on it and i'm playing i think well that is really a great sound i found a, a metal bridge it's like a you know it's a it's a gibson but i i like the sound because there's great clarity and and sus- more sustain which i yeah which i appreciate i'll show you this real quick here's my my 175 and i used to have uh the, the tunematic bridge here yeah. as well but I put a rosewood bridge on it, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, and it created a, a much... I was trying to get more of your kind of sound, John. I'll give you an old bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored that you uh, really like that sound, you know. And, and it was something that... Uh, it's just something I always... Uh, uh, I could never figure out totally, because every guitar is different. And the combination, and then you have to consider the amplifier, you know. So I've never been a hundred percent, but sometimes, and then it's the club you're working at, how you know. But I, I make the best of it, you know. It's it's usually pretty good. But thank you for the compliment. I know Will wanted to ask you about guitars. Uh, he he actually owns an Eastman, which has been a big part of your career at this point too. So yeah, first time I heard you, actually, I was in high school long before I came to Southern California on. Um, for Django. I didn't know I was listening to you accompanying yeah. Joe, but there you were. Yeah. And, you know, probably like John and Perry, I mean, the first time I saw you play was at Guitar Night um, sure. uh, at Lucy's 51 in Toluca Lake. Uh. And then uh, Viva Cantina. I would, like, go there probably every Tuesday, I believe, and, like, get, uh. get some really mediocre yeah. mexican food and and watch watch the, the guitar hang it was so cool and and you know before i ask you about your relationship with eastman guitars i just want to chime in and like john and perry said thank you for for being so like supportive and inclusive <clears throat> with with us younger players i mean i always felt so uplifted by you and you are always so interested in what we were doing and i'm, I'm sure we've all been over to your your guitar palace and just hung in the workshop and like, you know, I love seeing your giant tubs of guitar picks and, and you're like, yeah, I've been messing around with this pick. You know, it, it's so cool to see that. Cause I, I feel we're all going to always be that way. Um, but I wanted to ask you about how you got connected with Eastman guitars. Like Perry mentioned, I have an Eastman L Ray and it's a super woody guitar. Like it, it, it's impossible to get anything but a woody acoustic sound out of it. Um, yeah. I'd love to talk about your signature model. Oh, okay, yeah, we're 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 finishing a, a new sig. I've been trying to get them since this 1973. I've been designing a, a new signature model, and I'm going back to single pickup. And we we the, the one I have here has I, I I spaced it like the old Gibson, afar you know about an inch from the end of the fingerboard. But all of a sudden, that's right where I like to pick, and so I'm moving it up against the fingerboard. And uh, 
Also, I finally got them to 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 thicken the top another millimeter, huh. which is more like the Gibson. I've been trying to get them to do that, but the guy that in in China is his name is Kwa, and he doesn't speak any English, but he's a sweet guy. He loves me, and but I, he, for some reason he carves his guitars thin, and he and he he always is not. I you know he doesn't like to do that. Hmm. But uh, we got him to do it finally, so I got wonderful. I'll be getting a guitar in a couple of months, and uh, oh I, man, I can't wait to hear you They just it. stained it, and it's going to be a different. Uh, uh, I'm putting a different color on it, but uh, anyway, you know, I I I enjoy that since uh, you know messing around with with uh, experimenting, uh, and I think I I I have you know I have. Joe, Joe's last guitar mm-hmm. that, that he uh, that, that he used. I don't own it. It's his wife left it here. She said uh, Joe would want you to to be playing on it and have every and I a couple of guitar nights I've had mm-hmm. where I've had students coming in and I, around Joe's birthday I usually I would take it out and have a whole handful of guys. I've seen some photos hand, of that. Yeah. Hands, you know. <laughs> So anyway, uh, but the, the top on that guitar is uh, it's a laminate, and I've psyched it out, and I'm, that's what I'm. That's they put something that's supposed to be very close to that, and I'm eager to get my hands on it and see if it might be that one little missing touch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is perfect. I'm going to transition it back to John, and I just want to again, want again, thank you for everything, and you know, we love you, and uh, that you've you've created a real scene. So thank you, thank uh, you, thank I, you. I, I appreciate that, and I'll tell you, I, I keep on saying this that you know, I, there's so many people and groups that uh, we started saying we got to get like with we can. I connected with Lee again. Uh, you know, we've always been in touch, but I got a, we played together, and that, that was the last. That was the third, the third of March, right? The last guitar, and that was that just worked out beautifully. I, I'm glad we got that in there. It was like, and it was such a magical night. That everybody was, everybody was so knocked out, and uh, we've been ever since then. Right after it, we were talking. They they wanted they want to take me to dinner, and we're going to hang out with the, the you know the, the he had they have a little group there that with Rotella and anyway. But we haven't. The point I'm getting to is I'd like to do that with you guys, but we the, would the love it. Pandemic that's going on right now. Uh, I'm just looking forward for it to end so I can uh, you know connect and and uh, I sure appreciate all of the things that you that you know you you've said about this you know we're gonna come over and find some of those pics of yours maybe. yeah right yeah yeah john and and it, you know it's the stories you know the your your approach to the music uh, talking about accompaniment today talking about big bands talking about los angeles there's so much uh, we'd love to have you maybe back on for another episode someday as we get farther down the line we'll see sure. um yeah. but we, you know for again for high action we just it's it's a highlight to have you on here man it's a very special episode today and we you know we just wish you well right now stay healthy and know that all of us young guys are just going to try to like keep catching up to you john you know <laughs> <laughs> so have fun yeah. have fun teaching 
Hey, look at that. I got your pick, man. These are some of my favorites. Shark tooth. I like to have a little more point. It gets over over the over the over the, the string easier. You take care. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on High Action, and we'll talk to you soon, John. Okay. Well, Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, I certainly enjoyed hanging. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash Group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.